So I did start with ATF in 1987, and then I spent the next 27 years, 27, over 27 years as a special agent with ATF. Hi, I'm Catherine. I love hearing people's stories. I always have. In 2021, an idea came to me to talk to 10 people I didn't know about a meaningful day in their life. I posted the idea to my neighborhood's Facebook page and connected with 11 people who were willing to share. We met in one of our homes, and these are those conversations. For me, when I hear someone's personal experience, I understand them better. I feel connected to them through common ground or a common feeling, and I always and inevitably learn something from them that helps me in my own life. I don't know what you'll find in these conversations, but I hope it's something good. I'm so grateful all around to everyone who participated, and now to you for listening. I truly hope you enjoy. Let's jump right in. Today's conversation is with Kelly. Hi, hey, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Can you tell me your name? Kelly. And, Kelly. And what are you here to talk about? I'm here to talk about one day or actually one lunch that ended up somewhat defining or defining my life or helped me make a big decision in my life. Okay, well, I can't wait to hear. Okay. Let's just jump into it. <laughs> okay, so I am from San Diego and okay. I was, I had been working at a halfway house. So this was like a halfway house for people coming out of federal prison and probationers. So that was kind of like the job I was doing when I was still in college and then I graduated from college and then I was doing everything I could to find a career to move into my career and make more money because that was in my career but I wasn't making a whole lot of money. So I was looking like corrections, investigative jobs, and I had a, I had a lot of applications out there. So there were two pending, oh did I say what year it was? It was sometime, this was in 1987, so I would say around spring 1987. So I was in process to become an investigator with the state of California, with the state alcoholic beverage control, and that was going to be in Long Beach. I was also in process with the Federal Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, which is now the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, ATF. Um, so I was in process with both of those agencies. I didn't know the location for the ATF, but the Long Beach was the ABC. And actually, ABC was more money. Okay, that's kind of like the foundation for the story. So I was in process. ABC was moving along very quickly, and I thought I was going to take that job, but I, was, I wasn't really sure. So I reached out to my point of contact at the ATF, and his name is Jim. Actually, he's still, he's in his 80s. He's still alive. Anyway, so I reached out to him because I had met him during the course of my, I had been through a couple interviews with him. And I called him and kind of voiced my concerns about how like ATF seemed to be dragging their feet, what should I do, blah, blah, blah. And he said, how about if I take you to lunch? Would you like to go to lunch? And I said, sure. You know, and I thought that was sort of extraordinary, you know, being like a young, you know, 25 year old or whatever. But anyway, I met him, I went down downtown San Diego on my only day off, which was a Friday. And I remember like I parked on the street, you know, fed the meter, go into the nice federal building, went up to the ATF office, and I think he showed me around. And then he says, okay, well, let's go to lunch. So we got in his car and he's like, okay, so like if you came with ATF, this is what you get. You get a G ride, which is short for government, government ride. And so he was like highlighting the car, all the things I, you know, always have a take home car. And anyway, we left there 
and we drove to, it's called the Naval Base Point Loma, which is, it's across from San Diego, and when you go there, you can look across the bay and see the San Diego skyline, and it's, it's just gorgeous, it's beautiful, and it's not a place that just regular citizens, they can't get onto that base. Well, back then, you could get on there if you had a badge, so we, we drove up there to the guard, and he just flipped out his badge, you know, expertly flipped out his badge, like, oh, this is what you can do. This is what you can do when you have a federal badge. Like, oh, wow. You know, definitely he was trying to impress me. So anyway, go, go on to the base. We get some takeout food. We sit outside on just one of those plastic tables, benches. And we just sat there and had a nice lunch and looked at the skyline. And he spoke very highly of ATF. And he said, look, like, we could be sitting here. Like, if you were a special agent, we could be sitting here. We're doing surveillance. And you being a woman, you're gonna fit in better. You know, nobody aren't, people aren't gonna notice you as much, blah, blah, blah. So uh, we had a really nice lunch and he told me all the benefits of ATF. Federal agency is better, you have more opportunities, you can get out of the state. Don't you wanna get out of the state? <laughs> Which I did, I didn't wanna get out of California. Didn't end up that way. Anyway, he, he was very, provided a lot of guidance and a lot of information and highlighted the possibilities for me if I did decide to go, you know, go with ATF. So, you know, nice lunch. He took me back to my car and then he said, I'll check into your investigation, your background investigation, see what's going on. And then not long after that, I knew that it was in process. So I think that they just said, okay, let's get going. And they, within a couple of months, they offered me a job and I accepted the position, and which actually was it was in California. It was in Fresno, <laughs> which is not a great place. But so that's where I started my career. So I did start with ATF in 1987, and then I spent the next 27 years, 27 over 27 years as a special agent with ATF. Yeah, that's my story. <laughs> oh my gosh, I was thinking about this a lot after we talked, and. I, I wanted to find Jim, Jim, so I reached out through, we have a Facebook group, so I reached out and I just asked, like, does anyone know where he is? And so I was able to get some contact information from him, and I emailed him, which was really fun. I said, I don't know if you remember me or remember this, but, you know, you, it, was, it was very, you were very instrumental in helping me make a decision and providing guidance. And I said, I really appreciate that. I really appreciate, you know, your kindness. And he, he seemed, I think he was just surprised, but I think he appreciated, you know, that I reached out to him like that. And I told him about this project and he says, okay, yeah, I want to see it. I want to see it if it, you know, whenever it's done. So that was really fun to reconnect with him. So I have some questions. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you grew up in California. I did, San Diego. When you were in high school, did, what were you thinking about college and what did you end up studying? I didn't know what I wanted to study. I. I actually started college, which was San Diego State University, and I, this is a, sort of another piece to this story. So I went to school for about two and a half years, and then I joined a group, so it's actually a nonprofit called Up With People, which is a, it's a whole other long story, but it's a performing group. It's a big nonprofit organization with a, you know, you're in a cast and you, perform this 
you know, songs and dances and a show and you travel all over the world. So I did that for a year. And everywhere you, everywhere you travel, you live with host families. You also have career days. Uh, we did, we did like projects to help and everywhere we would go, we would do projects to help the community as mm -hmm. well. So community service. So a couple of things happened during my year. One was a prison tour and I got really, really interested in criminal justice during the prison tour. And I also had a career day and the career day I met a judge, I met like a probation officer, I learned more about the criminal justice system. And then after all that, I was like, oh, this is so cool. This is what I want to do. I want to go into criminal justice. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do in the field. So when I came home after my year of traveling, I did some research and found out that the school, San Diego State University, had a really good criminal justice admin program. So I went back to school and got my degree in criminal justice administration. Before that, I didn't, I floundered. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah, for like a couple years. So when you yeah. were little, did you have, you know, when kids, you ask them what they want to be when they grow up, did you have an answer to that? Or were you just not sure? Uh, no. You didn't know? I don't think I was one of those kids that really knew. Mm-mm. No. Although a lot of folks in law enforcement do, if you ask them. They know pretty young. I had no idea. <laughs> okay, so you went on this tour of a prison and something just kind of sparked mm -hmm. in you, it sounds like. What... What was that? Were you interested in how the system worked or <laughs> in how people got in or getting people out? Like I what? just was interested in all of it. I was really, really interested. I was really intrigued by the whole field, whether it was corrections, investigations, probation. And I got really more interested when I came back to San Diego and I went to school and started, you know, that was my major then. And I started going to the classes. Then I got more interested. I don't know, just always... I don't know why. It just always intrigued me then. So were you thinking, you know, you might go into law enforcement or police or... Yeah. I was looking at, well, the position I was in was law enforcement, mm -hmm. federal law enforcement, but I looked at corrections. So I was looking at like the state of California, going to work in a prison. What would that mean? Um, would that mean like being in prison administration or a prison guard? A guard. Okay. Yeah. Like a correctional officer. Mm -hmm. So I looked at, oh, I looked at federal. So state and federal. Mm -hmm. Um, correctional officer positions. I looked at local law enforcement. I think even, I think I might have applied for the San Diego Police Department. And then I applied to ATF and Customs, I think. Those were the federal agencies. And then the Bureau of Prisons, which is the federal correctional system. Yeah, so I was just kind of all over the map because I, I wanted to get into something and get a good job. Mm -hmm. And the, my, I, I worked at the halfway house for about two and a half years. And that was a very good foundation for me. These were mostly men, some women coming out of federal prison, some were on probation, just dealing with people who, you know, had criminal histories. That was a good foundation for me going into law enforcement. What did working there kind of give you? I really hadn't been around people who had been in trouble, you know? I mean, I didn't have a pretty stable middle-class upbringing. I don't remember anybody getting in trouble or using drugs. Well, no, I did know people who use drugs, but their struggles to stay drug-free or alcohol-free, you know, we dealt with that a lot. Like, it was really hard for people, especially coming out of prison, to remain drug-free because once they used drugs because we tested them, they would be bounced back. So just, just trying to, just seeing how they struggled, how they struggled with their families and the environment, 
their attitudes, especially like if they have been in prison a long time, you know, that like re-entry back into the community was difficult. Yeah, I learned a lot there. What were you doing day to day? I was called a case manager and I um, did counseling. Like I had, like I might have six clients that were just mine. So I would be responsible for meeting with them once a week. Like, how's it going? What are you doing? How is your job? How's your job search going? That type of thing. If they had a job, I had to go verify the job. I had to go in person. Let's see, what else did we do? Drug testing. Well, I would not test men, I would test women. So, you know, have to go get the sample, that type of thing. What else did we do? Monitor, like every hour we, we would have to walk around the halfway house and make sure nobody was doing anything they weren't supposed to do. We would check rooms, like when they weren't there, we would kind of not toss the rooms, but just go through their rooms looking for contraband. So it's sort of like a prison, but it's very, very loose because it's just this house that's in the middle of a community mm-hmm. and there's different levels of supervision. So someone could be, they come in, they're like at a high level of supervision. The only thing they can do is go out and work. And then like in a couple of weeks, if they're doing well, then they can start seeing their family. Or they, they're supposed to be in at nine or eight, and then we bump it up to 10. So it, a lot of it was just monitoring them, their activities, making sure they're doing what they're supposed to do. What was the hardest part about working there? Because what, you were kind of a young woman out of college. I was really young. I started there when I was 24. Okay. So I was like 24 to 26 when I worked there. And I was super naive, you know, really naive. And one thing I remember, this was probably pretty soon after I started working there, was one day just having a long conversation with like two or three clients or residents about drug use. And just, I remember this one guy who's just adamant he wasn't going to use again. And I don't know if he had been clean in prison. I don't remember what his circumstances were, but I really liked him. I thought, you know, I liked his personality. And I remember having that conversation with him and a couple other people. And then it was either that day or the next day, he was was caught somewhere by the police and he was just in some random bushes shooting up heroin. And I was devastated. You know, I was like, we just, like what happened? We just had this conversation and he was just so sure he wasn't gonna do that and then he did it. So those types of things were tough to see people, you know, they see, you know, they're struggling and they're trying to not use, but they're addicted, you know, so it was hard to see that, that type of thing. Yeah. And they get sent back to prison. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But it was, it was really interesting. We had a lot of really interesting clients there. Did you stay in touch with anyone after working there? Uh, I stay in touch with my boss, my old boss, yeah. Yeah, he's still in San Diego. Mm -hmm. So you went from there, and then you were looking for another job, Mm -hmm. and you were kind of looking all over, over. Mm -hmm. just applying to different agencies. Mm -hmm. Did you have one that you really wanted to get in, or were you just kind of open to anything? I really liked the ABC and the ATF. What was appealing about them? Being an investigator as opposed to being law enforcement, local law enforcement, you know, on the, we say, on the street. To me, it was more, oh, you have to have a degree. You know, I had to have a degree to get this position. At that time, you didn't have to have a degree to be like a local law enforcement officer. So I'm like, well, I have a degree. Let me see what I can get, Mm -hmm. you know, with having the degree. And the federal agencies appealed to me just because I felt like there would be more opportunities 
to get into different types of investigations. I think working for the state, I would have felt more stuck. Yeah. I am so curious about your journey and the training that you got. Yeah. Did you consider applying with the FBI? I did apply with the FBI, and that didn't really work out because I don't think, because I didn't have like a specialty, like I wasn't a CPA, mm-hmm. and I didn't know a foreign language. I, would, I needed to have something like five years experience, which could be working at the halfway house or local law enforcement or military. I didn't have that yet. So it wasn't really a good, it wasn't an opportunity for me. Okay. Yeah. So, so it was between ABC and ATF. ATF. And then I got an offer from ATF. Originally, they offered me San Francisco. And I said, I said, oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I can afford to live in San Francisco. It's so expensive. Even then, it was expensive. I didn't, I don't remember saying anything, but they came back like a couple of weeks later and they said, actually, would you like to go to Fresno? I didn't know anything about Fresno. My parents did. So I talked to them about it. I said yes, because cost of living was low. Seemed like a good place to start my career. And so that's where I started, accepted the position. And I started in November, 1987. Could you just tell me what ATF is and what they do? Okay. So the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, ATF, is a federal agency and it is under the Department of Justice. And ATF has two main functions. There's the law enforcement function or law enforcement side and then a regulatory piece. So we talked a little bit, well, the law enforcement is federal. It's a federal jurisdiction and the federal jurisdiction jurisdiction, the laws that ATF enforces and investigates involve firearms, federal firearms laws, arson, and explosives, primarily, and some tobacco type, some tobacco cases. So so what that means is, in a nutshell, ATF agents investigating people, criminals who are violating those laws, the federal firearms, arson, and explosives laws. The regulatory side, which is called industry operations, they license all firearms manufacturers, distributors, federal firearms licensees, the local stores that sell firearms. So they are involved in, or they're the ones that approve the licenses and also do inspections of those licensees. So those include the places where guns are made mm-hmm. to the shops where All they're the sold. All the way to the shops where they're sold, yes. I guess, and they're distributors in mm-hmm. between. Yes. The same with explosives. So that same pipeline from manufacturer all the way down to the local licensees. How large is ATF? I think ATF right now has maybe 5,000 employees. I would say no more than 2,500 agents, probably less than that. Really not sure of the, uh, the industry operation. They're called industry operations investigators. Maybe seven, eight hundred. Not, not a lot. lot for an entire country. Yeah. So ATF has just always been a small agency, small agency with a big mission, big mission, big heart. And its size is dependent on federal funding. Mm-hmm. What training did you get? It's all changed since then. But I went to the, I reported to the office. Well, let me just tell you this little story, this kind of a fun story that's part of this whole process, is that I went up to Fresno to look for an apartment. 
and I got up super, super early on a Monday morning because it, it took about six hours to drive up there. And I got there in time to go to the, the supervisor at that time had like Monday morning meetings, which the other agents, the agents hated, but he did it anyway. And so anyway, I went to the office, went to the meeting, and then there were two agents working there. They were brothers, which is unusual. And they said, what are you doing? And I said, mm, going to look for an apartment. He's like, well, do you know the area? And I said, no, I don't know the area. I'm just going to get some booklets. We didn't have the internet then. We'll just get some booklets, you know, and start looking for an apartment. They said, well, well do you want us to help you? And I said, of course, thank you. So they drove me around all day long and took me to different parts of the city, showed me some good spots to live, went to some apartments, kind of narrowed it down to two apartments. And then I remember about halfway through the day, I said, oh, thank you guys so much. Like, how do you do this? How do you get out of work? Like, like are you getting out of work to do this? Or don't you have work to do? And they just laughed at me. Like, we could do whatever we want. <laughs> Which was kind of true, you know, I found out that like if, if you were helping somebody, mm -hmm. you know, another agent, like in that way, you could just, it was very flexible, you could do that. You know, how many jobs are like that? And in a government car, you know, because it was all really government business. So anyway, I got up there in November, I moved up there in November, and the, my slot at the academy was not open until May, no, excuse me. In the, well, let's just say the spring. So I was at the office for about five months. So I just, I had a training officer, so I kind of just tagged along with him. And then I did some firearms training, and then I was able to get what they call firearms qualified qualification. I did that locally, but I didn't really do a lot those first five months. And then I went to the academy, which was about, the first part of the academy was eight weeks. Then I went back to the office for a while, then I went to the second part of the academy. I was not completely done with my training, the formal training, until a year after I started. So it was November 88. Then I was on like OJT, on the job training, for probably another year. Wow. Yeah. Do you remember your first day on the job? I would imagine that you would have like some sort of badge or something, not like a, a ID yeah. card, but probably not your total badge. But do you remember that No, I got the badge, day? yeah, yeah. What was that? What's it like to get that kind of badge? Well, let me think about this. Did I, did I get, did they give me that that day? The first thing they do the first day I got sworn in. A lot of people would get sworn in by the SAC, which is a special agent in charge of the field division. Our SAC was in San Francisco. For some reason I didn't have that. I was sworn in by a judge like a local Fresno federal judge. So I remember being sworn in. I think what happened was they probably took my picture for the credentials, mm -hmm. but I didn't, get the, I didn't get the credentials and the badge right away. It probably took a couple of weeks, but I do remember wearing a suit and, and going up to the judges' chambers and getting sworn in. I do have a photo of that. What oath do you take? The same oath that everyone takes, like Congress takes for federal, or anybody who's going into the federal government. It's the standard, I will uphold all the laws and the Constitution, and I don't remember it, sorry. <laughs> I'm sure I heard it a lot over the years when we would swear in other people. Yeah. Did, was any of your family there? Or, or no, no. No, it was do that yeah. and then you're on the job. 
Do you remember your official job title, the first special one? agent? Oh, mm -hmm. okay. It was always special agent. Okay. Mm -hmm. Later, I became a supervisor, but it's always special agent. Mm -hmm. So then you're sworn in. Mm -hmm. Your first day on the job, and then you, st you said you started, I don't know how else to say, like following someone around. So I had home. a trainer, like yeah. a on the, on the job trainer. That, so I would always be with that person. And I had like two or three of those over those two years. Some were better than others. So if this agent is my trainer and he has to go to a meeting or he has to do an interview, I would always be with him. So like shadowing. Yeah. What were the first things that you went to do, like went out into the field to do? Probably interviews, interview suspects or interview victims, interview witnesses, records. We would have to get records. Like if we were working on a case, for example, it's illegal under federal law for someone who's been convicted of a felony to possess a firearm, to buy a firearm. So to prove that, we would have to show, yeah, this person has been convicted. So we would go to a court, it could be a local court, state court, federal court, and get certified documents that this person has been convicted. Pick up police reports, records, a lot of that type of thing. Interaction with local police departments, other agencies, depending on what type of case you're working on. What was your training? Once you, you said you had the eight yeah. weeks, mm -hmm. I think it was eight weeks. Was, the first training is called, that was called Criminal Investigator School. And then later, the second eight, eight weeks was new agent training. So the first one, the class was, at that time, ATF was part of the U.S. Treasury. Uh, Treasury. Now ATF is part of Justice, the Justice Department. So our class was like half ATF, half, I think it was IRS. So IRS was under Treasury. So it was, and then I think there was like one other person from one other agency. So that was our class. And that was all like basic investigative stuff, how to make arrests, how to do surveillance, how to drive a car, trying to think, like all the basic investigative stuff. Yeah. So like were you in classrooms was, and you were like, yeah, hey, so, here's how you Mirandize someone. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, a lot of it's classroom and then there's firearms training and then crime scene investigations. A, a lot of it's classroom, a lot of it's, like if it's a crime scene investigation, that may be some, some other place on that base, and I'll tell you what that is in a minute, where they created a crime scene and then we're, we're supposed to figure out what happened there. So the training was at the, it's called FLETC, which is a federal law enforcement training center, and that's in Glencoe, Georgia. It's near Brunswick, Georgia. And that center has been there many, many years. So that was always customs. It's treasury, it's a treasury-based training center. So it's almost as if FBI goes to Quantico, Everybody else goes to Fletzy, which is in Georgia. Yeah. That's what, did, it what was the hardest part about that? Or, and like, what did you really enjoy? I really enjoyed the camaraderie and my classmates. I really enjoyed that. And a lot of the people that were in the first eight weeks, then we were in the second eight weeks together. So we were able to stay connected. So that was neat to make friends, you know, build those friendships there, those connections. And I, I really liked that. Uh, just the learning aspect of it. It was really, really, it was really interesting to be in it and to be learning and to learn what you're going to do for your career. Yeah. That was really, really interesting. I, I don't think there was a lot I didn't like. I maybe didn't like the weather because it was super humid and they have a lot of bugs. <laughs> but uh, other than that, it's a pretty good setting. Were there a lot of other women? 
Oh, no, no. So the, in federal law enforcement, it hasn't really changed too much over the years. It's always been less than 10%, yeah, which is even lower than state and local law enforcement. Wow. I mean, maybe don't quote me on the numbers, but the, num but the numbers have never really increased. I think ATF might be at 8%. So not a lot of we women. And so there were more women when I was at the academy. In fact, my roommate during the second part of the academy, we're still friends, you know, which is really cool. So she ended up leaving ATF and became an attorney, but we're still friends to this day. My first office that I started in Fresno, no women, didn't know any women. They didn't, in a, in a way, even though they'd had a female agent there before, it almost seemed like they didn't know what to do with me. <laughs> like, it's a woman. <laughs> <laughs> then you would have these situations where it seemed like they didn't, management didn't want to put two women in an office or a group. Yeah. Why? <laughs> I had that happen to me too. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I, I don't even, I can't even guess, you know. But yeah, the numbers really haven't changed over the years. And then when I became a supervisor, even less women in supervision, you know, first line supervision and in management, even less. Yeah. Do you have any idea why? Well, I think one of the biggest differences for women uh, to be in law enforcement is if you're in local or state, you're not going to move. Like you're going to be like, oh, I'm working for Nashville, Metro Nashville PD. I'm going to stay here. I don't have to move my family. I don't have to move my kids. My husband has a job, wherever. But in federal, you're always subjected to being transferred or you have to to take the job, to accept the job, typically they're not gonna put you in the city that you're from. Mm -hmm. So I think that may be why some, why the numbers are lower. It could be a recruiting, there could be recruiting issues as well, I saw that, yeah. But I think it, it, a lot of it is they don't wanna be in a position where, oh, the woman has to transfer and then the husband has a good job. Mm -hmm. Although it seems to work with the, the reverse where, right? Yes, lots of families. Yeah. Yeah. Work in the reverse. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. did you feel like you were treated differently? Oh yeah. By your male yeah. colleagues, were you given different work? Um, I don't think I. Uh, maybe sometimes. Yeah. De there's definitely some. There was definitely some bias. Um, I would say the the idea that I wasn't as good at what I did. I definitely felt that. I also felt that I wasn't listened to. Like if I had an idea. It wasn't readily accepted, but I think like if a male counterpart shared it, it would be like, oh, great idea, Bob. <laughs> so I think that there was that bias, gender bias. In the beginning, there was some, this got better over the years, but like in the beginning, I, there was some harassment, a little bit of harassment. I didn't really suffer. I didn't really have a lot of that. I was very fortunate, mm -hmm. but there were a lot of women that did, you know. How did you deal yeah. with that? Um, some of it you just kind of like just let it go if it isn't that bad yeah just just try to let it go avoid that person and just keep moving yeah 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 it can definitely be there yeah but, it, but you stayed you stayed yeah, you, yeah, I did. for your I did. career yeah <laughs> I did yeah and most people do I guess because it's a good career it's well paid it's fun, you know, for the most part. It's interesting, it's fun. You can have, there's different assignments, which to me made it more interesting. I had different assignments over the years. Um, I was a recruiter for a while. I worked in ATF headquarters for a while. And then 
than my last 10 years here, I was a supervisor. So that was really different, but it was, it was good. Good experience. I'm sure also, though, that you had male colleagues who were, you know, oh, who yeah. were great. Awesome. Just, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it was, I would say most were really oh, good, and I didn't have those issues with them. And, like, for me personally, it was more about that bias, that, that kind of, like, uh, lack of respect, I guess, mm -hmm. that in, as opposed to someone actually harassing me. Yeah. And it's interesting mm -hmm. that, it was, mm -hmm. it, was it Jim who you had the lunch with? Mm -hmm. Yes. He mm -hmm. was really rooting for you and really mm -hmm. encouraging Absolutely. you. So. Yeah. yeah, and I'm sure he wasn't, he wasn't the only one over yeah. the years, you know, had several. That there were probably a lot I didn't have issues with, but then you run into somebody who, you know, it's this patronizing or, yeah, they don't think that you can do whatever, whatever the thing is. <laughs> By the way, this is a tangential question. Did mm -hmm. you like learn how to disarm someone? Oh yeah, yeah, we learned. Yeah, all, all those stuff. different techniques, like shoot, don't shoot scenarios, how to disarm, how to execute a search warrant, how to arrest somebody, how to search a house, which is a big part of what you do. You know, you execute search warrants, is you're rummaging through someone's house, but you have to know what you're looking for, which is based on the search warrant can't just look for anything, right? If the search warrant is for drugs and firearms, that's what you're looking for. You're not looking for, you're not looking for other miscellaneous stuff. Once you had all of your training <laughs> and you were given your badge, were you given a gun once you finished your training? Yeah, I got that before. I got that when I was still, before I went to the academy, because mm -hmm. I qualified there. Okay. I qualified in, in Fresno. So they give you a firearm. You did the training or, there, mm -hmm. you said you did the Yeah, but then you go through the, a lot more training at the academy, right? And you go through a lot of physical training as well. Yeah. Wow. What was yeah. what was it like to graduate? Was your family there? Like no, my no. It was just no, just me. Just finished just, up. Just, and... I don't. There were I don't know. There might have been a few families there, but it was maybe some spouses, but not a lot of spouses because we were all pretty young. And uh, yeah, just all of us, and we just kind of had the graduation and said goodbye. <laughs> I think that we all left that day too. So I think we probably partied the night before, graduated, and everybody leaves and goes back to their respective offices. Yeah. Are there any cases that you really remember that just kind of stand out? Yeah, one case I had. So there was a fire. This, this, this was later in my career. So I left Fresno. I went to the DC area for a while. I, I was in Northern Virginia. Uh, got married, and then he he got a job in Riverside, California, so came back to California. So, did, you, did you guys meet in D.C.? Yeah, he was a cop at the time, and then he got a job with Customs. So then we kind of bounced around a little bit, but we came back. So by now, we were back in... Did you meet at work or through work? Or? Um, well, we're divorced by now, right now, but <laughs> it doesn't matter. It also um, doesn't change how you met. It <laughs> no, that's true. So by then I was working, so this was 91, and we were forming a big task force. And ATF was bringing in people from all over the country to run this task force. And we had like certain things we were gonna focus on. And anyway, we were doing training. And I remember it was cold, and we did this training, and then a couple of the guys said, hey, we need to go like, get some kind of equipment police equipment. I don't remember what they needed. 
And I said, I said I wanted to go. So we went to one store and it was closed. And then someone said, oh, I know this other little store. It's owned by a police officer. And it was in Alexandria. So we went over to that little store and they were looking for whatever. And I was just in there and there was a guy working there. And he says, what are you looking for? I said, I don't know. I'm just, <laughs> just looking around. And I said, really what I need is some new, I need some new bootlaces for these boots. Cause they ATF had given us these like army boots and they didn't have the right kind of laces or something. And he just, he's like, we don't have laces here. Like you're a crazy woman. <laughs> and I said, okay. He's like, Hey, um, he said, do you know so-and-so he's, he was this ATF recruiter I've been talking to and he named the, the guy, his name was Jimmy. And I said, yeah, I know, Jim. I know Jimmy, but just want to let you know, Jimmy just passed. He had a heart attack and he died and he, he was shocked. And I was like, sorry, I had to tell him that. But anyway, so we, we were chatting and I said, I thought he was cute. So I said, Hey, maybe I could look into like what's going on with your application. Cause he had an application pending with ATF and he said, Oh yeah, great. Okay. Here's all my, here's my card. Here's all my numbers. Okay. So he gave me that. I remember the guys teasing me about all that. So that's what happened. And then I did follow up on his application. The recruiter said he needs help with his application. Like he needs to beef up his application. It needs to be stronger. And you know how to do that. I said, okay. So that's what I told him. And I told him I would help him. So that's how I met him. Went to his apartment, went, helped him with the application, went to dinner, and then we just started seeing each other and then got married later. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was kind of fun. Yeah. That's a sweet story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And so oh, oh, and the first date after not that time, not the first time we met, but the like first date where he came to my apartment and picked me up, guess what he brought me? Laces. Boot laces. <laughs> yeah, it was very sweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. That's really sweet. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So <clears throat> the case that you remembered, I think that's what I asked about. So we had, so we got married and then we moved to Riverside. So now I'm back in California. And we worked all of Riverside County and all of San Bernardino County. They're the two biggest counties actually in the United States, really big counties. And there was a fire, what they thought was an arson at this big restaurant in Palm Springs. That was part of our area. Well, they didn't call a lot of times this happened, at least back then they didn't call us right away. They were investigating. And then about six weeks into it, they were not having any success trying to figure out, they knew it was arson, but they didn't know like which direction to go as far as how to figure out who did it. They kind of thought it was owner involvement, like for fraud, for insurance money. So they contacted us. My supervisor told me to contact the investigator out there. I started working with him and he was, he was with the police department. Cause sometimes we work with the fire department investigators as well. And so we started working it, following different leads, doing interviews, whatnot. And we found one guy who he had been an employee of that restaurant and now he was working at a different restaurant. So we located him, said, Hey, we'd like to interview you. And he said, fine. We interviewed him and we wanted to interview him again. But we also had a, a polygraph examiner there. So we brought him in for an interview. We're like, hey, would you agree to do this polygraph exam? Because I think we thought that he knew more than he was saying. 
I think that's what it was. He agreed to the polygraph. And so they were like, we were over here and they were doing the polygraph in the next room. And you know, they, he had been in there an hour, hour and a half. And the examiner came over and talked to us. He's like, well, he's not saying, he's not really providing information about the Palm Springs fire, but he was deceptive. And so I asked him, is there something else? Like, is there something else? And he said that he had been hired by the owner, I think it was the owner of his current restaurant, to travel to Florida and burn a house in Florida. So we had, yeah, we had no, well, like we had no idea. And it had happened probably within the, la the year prior to that. We had, okay, we're working this arson, but now this guy's talking about some house fire in Cooper City, Florida. So it was, it was pretty wild. So we're like, okay, so we, we got more, we interviewed him. We got as in-depth as we could. We're like, where was it? How did you get here? We had him draw maps. So we're trying to figure out where exactly is this house and then who hired you and how did you get there? So he and the, the owner, they drove down there together, but he told us how he did it, which was some kind of like spray cans, like a big sprayer that would use like to fertilize your lawn was filled with gas. And the owner wanted the house destroyed because he couldn't sell it because there was an issue with some overhead like utility lines near it. Hmm. He couldn't sell his house. So he was like, I'm just going to burn it and then As take the do. proceeds. <laughs> take the proceeds, yeah. So that was really fun because we didn't know. I mean, we, had, we didn't see that coming. And then the next day, it might have been that night. It was either that night or the next day I started calling Florida. I said, who works arson down there? with ATF. Who works arson? Do they cover this area? It could be this. She started working on her end and they were able down there to identify that, that, you know, okay, this is the house. They found the house. They knew it had been arson. They just could never solve that case. So we did solve that one. Never solved the one in Palm Springs though. So, wow. Did yeah. that man and the restaurant owner end up in Yeah, prison? it was the owner, the guy that, you know, became the informant. Oh, it was one other, it might have been the owner's wife. They, everybody was charged. I don't remember their sentences. I think maybe the owner and his wife, they were pretty old. They may not have gone to prison. They may have all gotten probation. And then the guy that turned informant, I think he did a little bit of time, not a lot. Yeah, it was, that, was a, that was interesting and it was fun. Pretty wild mm -hmm. case. Mm -hmm. How did you look at the fact that your work led to people going to prison? Uh, I didn't... I didn't have a problem with that because I felt like the sentences were just based on what they had done. You they know. had done this and this is the yeah, consequence? right, right. Later, I would say, well, more since I retired. And things have changed a lot you know, in our culture or society. Now I'm more, I look at things more critically as far as how people are sentenced. You know, people are wrongfully convicted. So I'm more, now since I'm retired, I'm more in tune with that and have a better understanding of, oh, the system isn't, like I think when I was in law enforcement, I was in law enforcement and thought that not that the system's perfect, but I didn't ever think there was anything unjust, but that's not true. Yeah. How do you look at prison now? Do you think it helps people? 
or do you think it helps yeah. you know society mm. in terms of keeping you know certain I mean people? I think there's a place for incarceration I think we overuse it yeah I think we definitely over overuse it and then we don't then when we have when the opportunity is there like when people are releasing because they've spent so much time there or they're in there for nonviolent nonviolent offenses let's say like what's happening when they come out you know are they prepared to come back into society and get jobs and contribute and make a living and pay taxes and all the other things is really difficult you know for people with records to get jobs get good jobs and i'm just saying this anecdotally but there are a lot of organizations out there that help people coming out of prison because mm -hmm. it's hard to find jobs yeah you know so there's a lot of barriers to good employment so i don't think that like if we want to solve the problem then like how do we avoid that you know how do we avoid people going back in and you know i understand that the goal is punishment but most prisoners aren't going to be in prison the rest of their lives so what are they going to do when they get out how can we help them exist in society and contribute in a good way mm -hmm. did working in law enforcement change how you saw people in your life as an example, I think, you know, some people who go into medicine, they start looking at people, and at least from some of my friends, you know, they kind of start diagnosing without really thinking about it, mm -hmm. you know, but did sure. that, you know, I would feel like working in law enforcement, you're interacting with people who are lying to you mm -hmm. um, sure. and concealing right. things. Did sure. that show yeah. up in your personal yeah. relationships? I think that it made me more wary, you know, wary in general of people and more, definitely more cynical. I became a more... I don't want to say pessimistic, but maybe more cynical about people in general and more wary and yeah, more wary of becoming close to people because you don't really know. You don't know people's backgrounds. Like, a, But I also think it, and some of this was because the, my ex-husband was more inclined to like, I don't want anybody knowing what we do. And some of that was protecting the kids as well. But but I don't want anyone knowing what we do. And so that's hard. When you try to make friends, well, what do you do? Well, I can't talk about it. <laughs> you know? That's what you that's would like say? A we just wouldn't, we just didn't want to talk about it. Yeah, or we would just say some random, we work for the government, you know? Like we wouldn't ever talk about it. So it was, that was, to me, was difficult. And, and like I said, some of that I think was protection of the kids because when you're in law enforcement, like you don't want everybody knowing you're in law enforcement because you have, they're enemy. You have people who don't like you because you put them in jail or you've investigated them. You don't want them coming after you or your family. So there is that level of like trying to protect your, your family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So just to kind of go back a second. So you moved back to California mm -hmm. and then you mentioned that you became a supervisor and then you became a recruiter. So what was the rest of your oh, career? So we were... Okay, so it was like two and a half years in Fresno, two and a half years in the D.C. area. Got married. We went to Riverside. I was in Riverside. We were in Riverside about four and a half years. So it was always that whole, all that time I was a street agent, special agent. I should mention also that during that time I had a, my first son when we were in Riverside. And um, so that was also another layer of navigating the world of, you know, weird schedules which is in law enforcement, you're on call all the time. So having a kid, having kids is just 
you, you were know, both working, like, mm-hmm. right? Wow. Yeah, it's like a trying to navigate, yeah, those situations. Okay, so then Riverside, when we moved back, we moved to Maryland, and this was because we wanted to be closer to his parents who lived in Virginia, and we moved to Maryland, and then when we were in Maryland, I'm trying to think, I bounced around a little bit, but I was in our ATF headquarters for a short while, then I had my second son, then I worked in the Baltimore Field Division, and then that's when I did recruiting, which was, did a lot of things like going to career, like college career fairs, reaching out to people, trying to look, you know, trying to identify people, good candidates. And then there was an opportunity to become, stay in Baltimore and be an intelligence officer, which was assigned to an intelligence group. So I did that for a little while. Then I went to ATF headquarters for two years and I was in the intelligence directorate. So what kind of work is that? So that intelligence is, well, they're strategic and operational, but a lot of what we did was in support of the field and their investigations. Like we had agents assigned there. We had like intelligence analysts. I was assigned to like, at that time, we worked a lot of alcohol and tobacco cases. I was assigned to alcohol and tobacco intelligence branch. There was a lot of tobacco trafficking at that time, cigarette trafficking. So we worked a lot a lot of trafficking into Canada. So we worked a lot with our Canadian counterparts, like we would do conferences and share information. We also worked, this was kind of strange, but at that time, and I don't know if they do this anymore, we worked with the industry, we would get cigarettes, we would buy cigarettes Mm -hmm. to use like during investigations. So we're doing like all this in support of the agents in the field conducting investigations. So we worked with the industry to get cigarettes to, to be used in these investigations. Wow. So yeah, it was, it was wild, all the stuff that, that we did, yeah. But a lot of what we did at that level, like if it's like a firearms, it was like a firearms intelligence group, those, like the analysts there would work on, they would support major firearms trafficking investigations. They would show the connections between people. They would do, I don't know, pen link analysis, which is showing how people are connected like through phone data we did so much but it's like a lot um, of the background a lot of it is a lot of it's just this it's supporting the field investigations is what it's about and then we also would do research and write papers as well that would be more strategic type of intelligence wow. yeah so i did that for a couple of years then i went back to baltimore for a little while because I was my tour, <laughs> I wanted to be out of headquarters because the, the schedule was pretty rough, especially with young kids. So I went back to Baltimore. Okay, by this time, my husband was actually with ATF by this time. So now we were both with the same agency. And we kind of always wanted to get out of the, that area and kind of move south. And so an opportunity came up where I had a friend who had a supervisory position in Nashville and I saw that he was leaving, he was going to Mobile. So I called him up, I said, hey, what, what's going on? Why are you leaving? Is this a good job? You know, is this a good field division? And so we had a long talk and he said, you, you should put in for it, you should put in for it. So I called my ex and I said, what do you think about Nashville? He's like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> Even though I don't believe he had ever been here. So I put in for that position and I got that job. And then they just give like a spouse a transfer along with the person who 
Just the got job. the job. Yeah. So I was in operations, which was like more like an administrative type, running the field division type of position. And I did that for five years. And then I went to our intelligence group and then I was a supervisor of the intelligence group for five years. And then I retired. So I retired six years ago. Wow. Yeah, I retired six years ago. Yeah. What was your last day like? Anticlimactic. <laughs> you have a party yeah. or anything? Or it's well, kind of, oh, this is the last I, day? I want to say this, that when I moved to Fresno, my mom and my stepdad helped move me. And they helped me do so much over the years, but they helped me move me up to Fresno. So when I was getting ready to retire, I was trying to see who could, <laughs> who could be here. You know, like we did a retirement luncheon. And... Caleb, that's my younger boy, he, he was working at a YMCA camp, so he couldn't be here. But I was trying to time it so my older son could be here for the retirement party, and he was. But I asked my parents if they would come, because I wanted them to, they were at the beginning and they were at the end, you know, and I really wanted that. And they were really proud, you know, would tear up, but yeah. So anyway, so yeah, it was like a lunch, but we had the lunch in May, and I didn't retire until June, but I, we had it in May because I wanted everybody there. So I had to work around everybody's schedule. So that was really, yeah, I was really grateful that, that they could be there for that. So yeah, we had that. And then the last day, like the whole leading up to the last day, we had to, it was myself and one other per person. And so she and I had to turn in all of our, go through all our stuff, turn in our equipment, give our equipment away, and then just box up the last, you know, memorabilia, whatever, whatever stuff. And I think, yeah, I think that was it. And then a couple of people walked us out to our cars, and, <laughs> and then that was it. Sent you on your way. Yeah, like, bye. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, yeah. It, but I think, like, when you retire, you just get to that point, like, I was just so done. I was so ready to be done with it, you know? Just done. What did your parents think when you told them early on this is what you wanted to do? I don't really think they understood what I did. <laughs> For a long time, I don't think they understood. Even I had been in Fresno maybe a year or something, and I was talking about vests, you know, ballistic vests. And my mom's like, you have to wear a vest? <laughs> so I don't know that she, I don't know that they really ever. Ever got it? Yeah, maybe maybe many years later. I think they knew, like, I was in law enforcement, though, but I won't, they weren't 100% sure. And then I didn't like to talk about it. I didn't really talk about it that much with them either. So that might have been my issue. Like maybe they didn't really know because I didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> no, my mom, they were very proud. My brother, I'm pretty close to him. He was very proud. I remember in the beginning, like every time I went home, he'd say, let me see your badge. <laughs> and show it to other family members. Yeah, because it was a very unique profession, you know, especially for a woman. I actually was the only person, besides my brother being gone for a short period of time, I was the only person that left the state. Like, I'm the only person that ever left. Mm -hmm. Like, all the kids, everybody else stayed in Southern California. You know, I was the only one that left. So that was kind of unusual as well for my family. Well, what yeah. do your boys think of it? Or what did they think of it growing up? They didn't really tell people because that was, Part we just didn't culture, do that. Mm -hmm. culture, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. They, I think they were, I think they were proud. I think they were proud of both of us. And one thing that I did when they were in high school, they, they took, they did have an interest in criminal justice. They had a really good criminal justice teacher at their high school. Mm -hmm. I went for probably three or four years, I went and would speak to the classes. I would speak to her criminal justice classes. And then I think the first year I went by myself and then other years I would take other people. One time I took a canine handler and she came and 
brought the dog and talked about the dog and that type of thing. Yeah, so I think like whenever I would go there, they were they were happy to see me and I think they were proud like, oh, this is, this is my mom and she's speaking to my classes. And even the teacher told me that. She said, they're really proud of you. That made me feel good. They never had an interest in going into criminal justice or law enforcement, neither one of them. And I'm fine with that. Do you think that's their personalities or that's from them seeing Probably you? both. In fact, my older son hates guns. He just absolutely just hates guns. Yeah. Never shot a gun, but he hates them. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's a combination of personalities and, yeah, just how, you know, maybe seeing. Seeing it, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Was it good for you? Was your career good for mm-hmm. you? Yes. I mean, like, you know, when you weigh everything, mm-hmm. you know, you weigh, like, good, bad, pros, cons, you know, positive and negatives. I would say overall it was positive. Yeah, positive and... I don't know what else I would have done, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, who does, you know, especially after you're in it so long, but I really enjoyed it because I had the opportunity, I did the things that I thought I could do, which was move, relocate, transfer. I was able to do different jobs, always a special agent, but I was able to do those different positions, work different kinds of cases. And so I was not bored. I wasn't doing one thing. Mm-hmm. I was not doing one thing for 27 years, but I couldn't have done. So yeah, I think overall, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Was it in really intense? I know for some professions it's really intense and mm-hmm. then people come home and they need to decompress or you know, they have to do something totally different. Yeah. Would you say it was that? Like, could you leave it at work or, or did I generally you? could, okay. I feel like I could most of the time leave it. But you really have to when you're raising kids, mm-hmm. you know, cause you have, you just have so much going on with their lives. It's almost like, okay, I gotta, commute home and just let it go, you know, think about these things, let them go, come home, take care of them, feed them, take them to their activities, Cra- craziness, and especially after I got divorced, it was even more craziness because, you know, it was mostly doing it on, mostly, because they stay with me most of the time, so it was really pretty busy. Yeah, so you do have to, I did, I didn't bring it home, most of the time. <laughs> what do you do for fun? Since I retired, I have, so I work part-time, I work as a contractor. So I've done a lot of different things over the years since I retired, but I love to write. So I've really gotten into writing. I belong to, like I go to writing workshops, classes, belong to some writers groups, and I write different, like I've done different types of writing. I've written some articles. I had a blog for a while. Right now I'm working on a, hopefully it'll be a novel, but I'm working on that. But you have a lot to draw from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I don't. I haven't really written a lot about law enforcement. Even if it's not I could, law enforcement, but, I guess you got but to the, but the, learn about people well, so much. I'm a good observer, and I think that comes from being in law enforcement. And I think being, mm. right? Yeah. Being an observer is so much a part of being a writer, mm-hmm. as well as curiosity. You know, you're very curious, you know, the curiosity. And then, yeah, observing and then taking that information and whatever, putting it into a a story. Looking back now that you've retired, what would you say to someone who's interested in going into ATF or federal Mm -hmm. law enforcement? Who would you encourage to pursue that and who would you maybe say, you know, maybe not a great idea for you? You don't have to have law enforcement, like local or state law enforcement experience, but I think it is really helpful to have that state or local experience before you go federal. I mean, it's not totally necessary, but I think it's a good idea. 
So that's one thing. And, you know, be ready, be mentally and physically prepared. It is, can be physically challenging at times. And yeah, you can't really tell people like, oh, be ready for the bureaucracy of it, you know, and all the red tape and all the different things you deal with. It's hard to really share that. But that's part of it. That's part of it, yeah. And be prepared to work hard and know that you're going to be on call almost, you know, pretty much all the time. Stuff happens and you have to respond, be a team player. <laughs> I'm trying to think of it. You know, if, if you're, I guess, you know, if you're a woman, if it's a woman, I would share some of the experiences that I had you know, things to look out for. Um, I would say, I would say it's a good career. I would say it's good. I don't, you know, someone asked this question not that long ago on our Facebook group, like, or would you encourage your child going to law enforcement? And, and most people said yes. They think it's a noble profession. And I think it is, I don't know about noble, but it is something, you're, you're part of something bigger. You know, there's a mission. You're doing something positive. I think when you leave it also, you kind of miss that. Mm -hmm. You know, I think when people retire, they kind of miss that sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. So I think if it's a person who has that mindset, purpose-driven or believe in having a mission, then, then law enforcement probably would be a good fit. Also, a person would need to be assertive. I don't want to say aggressive, but, you know, assertive and someone who is not going to bow down, you know, to pressure. I mean, I think it takes a strong personality, actually, Probably to do it. it. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, you're dealing with the element, you know, criminal element, but then you're also dealing with, you know, you might have a bad, you know, supervisors, and, and then you're trying to present a case to an attorney, and, you know, there's just, like, so many different ways that you deal with people. So I think, you know, being assertive is important. I love that. Well, I am so grateful to have heard yeah. the story that started with that, that one day, mm -hmm. that one lunch, and then that led to a whole career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, career and marriage and kids, and yeah, I'm grateful. Places really, that you've lived. Really grateful, and not like you don't really ever know how it's going to turn out, but I mean, on that day when I had that lunch, who knew? But I guess Jim was right. Okay, my last question for you. What is one thing you really love about yourself? Oh, geez, that is like the hardest question, isn't it? I think what I love most is that I'm a good mom. Mm -hmm. I really think that that, I know that's not a, quite a characteristic, but I feel like I've been like loving and supportive and always there for my kids. I, like I listen to them um, you know I hear them and I don't tearing up <laughs> I just think that that's like I just love that that about me maybe that's not the right answer but it's a beautiful answer I love that too <laughs> yeah it's it's like so much of how I've lived my life is modeled after my mom and so if I say that, sorry, if I, all that I say that I think I am, I, I got from how my mother was a parent, you know, how she raised me, you know, and how she led 
with her own example. And I feel like I've emulated her in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, I have my own ways. <laughs> but I've emulated her in the, the positive aspects. I love that. So, oh, thank you. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It was great. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Feel free to leave a comment about this conversation, maybe what you're taking with you from it. Make sure to check out the other conversations if you haven't already too. You can also send me a message if you have a story to share. I'd love to hear it. I'll be working on a new series soon and you could be a part of it. Sending good your way. Until next time, take good care.